Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 9 o'clock or 10.30 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fumcopelika. Thanks for tuning in. See uh, how good a student you were. And how much you remember. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, what a great joy to worship with you today. We are glad you're here. While we're in the spirit of uh, clapping and thanking uh, folks, I want to take just a minute and thank uh, all of the folks who are serving this morning from our wonderful musicians, the choir and instrumentalists and everyone across the front of the stage here that's serving this morning, uh, but also across the back of the room. We have people uh, that there wouldn't be any words for you to sing. Uh, you wouldn't uh, kind of know where we were going without the people back there, folks who are watching online. We've got folks running cameras. And then there are greeters, and you saw people in the parking lots and on the sidewalks and holding doors open and making food and coffee and all those kind of things. Uh, I have heard that we will have close to 100 people serving this morning just to create uh, a wonderful worshiping environment. And so would you join me in taking just a second to thank all of those people uh, who have given their time on Easter to serve. Uh, and I want you to know, those of you that are serving and those of you who are like, well, that serving doesn't really make a difference. Uh, it makes an incredible difference. Uh, just last Sunday, uh, we had a first-time guest come to the church. Uh, and this guest uh, told us after the service uh, that they didn't really know what they were go- getting into. They had not been to church uh, in quite some time. Uh, and when they walked in, they said the spirit and the atmosphere of this place, when somebody greeted them at the door, opened the door for them, offered them a cup of coffee, uh, they said it touched their hearts in an incredible way. And we had our Sunday uh, where we uh, have a get-to-know-the-church uh, gathering called First Things, where people can find out about membership last Sunday. And so someone happened to ask this guest, would you like to go to First Things? Uh, and that guest came and on the spot said, I want to join this church uh, because their heart was so uh, touched when they walked in the door. Now, some of you who uh, speak Methodist and have been in the church are like, yes, a church member. Uh, but what I want you to know is we have a mission here to make lifetime followers of Jesus. And because of the environment that was created last Sunday morning, somebody said, I want to be here. Uh, And so the chance for God to work in their life and for their lives to be changed and for them to follow Jesus in a new way uh, is now a reality in their life where it wouldn't have been. Uh, If they would have just come once and left, uh, we don't know what might have happened. So when you serve, uh, when you sing, when you play, when you hold the door open, it may seem like something little, but it is making an eternal difference. And so I want to thank you uh, for serving and for making a difference in people's lives. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Mark. Uh, It is the familiar story of Easter Sunday. If you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 16. If you don't have your Bible with you, I'm going to give you permission to get out your phone and Google Mark 16, open your Bible app, whatever you need, so you can have a copy of the scriptures there in front of you. I'm going to read Mark 16, 1 through 8, and the words will be on the screen here behind me. Uh, And as we read the word together out of reverence for the Lord and his word, would you stand with me as we listen together? For the word of the Lord. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. 
And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me, please? Come, Holy Spirit. We invite you in this moment to descend on us with that same power that raised Christ from the dead, that you might work in our hearts and our lives and our minds, that you might break up the hard places in the soil of our heart, that you might shine light in places that still hold darkness, that we might hear your truth and respond to the good news in new and fresh ways. Lord, we want your will and your way. We want what you want more than what we want, even when we don't know what that means. So meet us in these moments as we reflect on this miraculous event. Lead us and work for your glory and our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you know that uh, I was born and raised in Lee County. Uh, I grew up here, but when I finished Auburn University in 1996... Uh, and left Lee County, uh, if somebody would have told me that 25 years later I would be standing as the senior pastor at First United Methodist Church in Opelika, I would have never believed them. Uh, Especially for those of you who speak Methodist, uh, then you know uh, that uh, in a world where we are sent by a bishop, uh, that somebody could calculate like Las Vegas-style odds on what the chances are that someone would get sent back to a church uh, in the area from which they grew up. And so when the bishop called uh, last year and said, I want to send you to Lee County to go serve First United Methodist Church in Opelika, to say that we were elated would be an understatement. Uh, I frequently tell people, as Rick Lane can now say for me, that I feel like I won the lottery. Uh, And so uh, over the course of the last year, as we've been back in the area, as we've been uh, kind of reintroducing ourselves to this area that I left 25 years ago, there have been so many things that we have seen and experienced and done uh, that have been like kind of putting on an old glove, like coming back home and getting to reacquaint ourselves with things from my childhood uh, that I didn't even know that I had missed or that I wanted to be around. I mean, there are all the very important things. I mean, like super high priority things, like the lady who cut my hair when I was in college still cutting hair. Uh, Same phone number. I was able to just go right back and she could cut my hair again after 25 years. You know, important stuff. Uh, The the important things like barbecue. Uh, For the first time in 25 years, uh, I've been able to find good barbecue again because even though I lived in Houston for 10 years, uh, the barbecue in Lee County far better than anywhere else. Uh, Important things like uh, I've been able to not just watch Auburn basketball on TV, but I've actually been able to see it in person, which uh, has certainly been a gift to my soul. There's other things too, like uh, the proximity to Auburn all of my family and my sister and parents and in-laws and all that, but maybe I have my priorities out of order, but you, you get the idea. I think the thing that has uh, just alarmed me the most, that has uh, been such a gift that I wasn't even expecting, has to be the change of seasons. 
Uh, for the last 15 years, uh, I've lived on the Gulf Coast. Uh, so for 10 of those years, I lived in Houston, Texas. And in Houston, they have two seasons, hot and blazing hot. Uh, and so there is no change of season. There is no fall where leaves fall off of the tree, where you see things get cold and dormant for a while. And then the last five years, we lived uh, outside of Gulf Shores in Foley, uh, where they have two seasons that is hot and raining and hot. Uh, and so everything is green there all the time, and things are always blooming and budding. Uh, and over the last six months, particularly through fall, but even more so as spring has emerged, I have just been captivated by the beauty of spring. Something that I didn't even know I had missed, that I didn't even know was gone, watching these buds come forth on the leaves and seeing these bright, brilliant, aggressive colors of green and seeing things move from this place of uh, dormancy and cold and death and hibernation into light and vibrancy. It has been a gift unlike anything else. And there are people who would say uh, that Easter, in some ways, is the same story as spring. That it is about new opportunity. That it is about bright colors and almost a, a religious ver variety of spring, a Christianizing, if you will, of spring. Uh, that it's about this hope for something new or the new opportunity that comes with a change of seasons. The world around us would definitely say, that Easter is all about those things. And while there may be some merit to that, and there may even be some truth to it, if we reduce Easter to just being kind of the Christian version of spring, about being nice new colors and new opportunity, then we have missed what Easter is about. Because the terrifying reality of Easter is far more uh, than just a, a day to celebrate newness. But it is something that transforms our life and turns our lives right side up. And so to settle for something less than what was happening on that first Easter morning would be to sell Easter short and miss the miracle that God has given to the world. If you want to know whether or not there's more going on in the Easter story than just some nice version of spring, all you have to do is read the text that I read to you just a few moments ago, because it's all right there. Andy Stanley loves to say, nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected nobody. Uh, when those women made their way to that uh, tomb that Easter morning, no one went thinking that there would be a resurrection. I mean, it would be outlandish. None of you would ever do it. No one in all of time has ever done it, that you would ever make your way to a funeral or to a cemetery uh, and think that what you would find in the moment of walking into that place would be the person who had died is now alive. When those women went to the tomb on that first Easter morning, they went for two purposes and two purposes only. They went to grieve, and they went to prepare Jesus' body for long-term burial. The things that they carried with them, the spices, the anointing oils, all of those things tell us exactly what they were about to do. We do not see anything in any of the gospel accounts that make us think that they went knowing that Jesus had another act of his ministry that it was about to come. Mary did not show up with an overnight bag and a bag of snacks to say, here you go, Jesus, in case you got tired. They went thinking that the story of Jesus was over. It's amazing because nobody even began to write these stories down until after the events of Easter morning because it was that day that told them that something was going on. As they made their way to the tomb, there was a discussion that went on. 
the women were concerned with how it was that they would move the heavy stone away from the entrance to the tomb. Uh, They had seen the tomb uh, close on Friday night, uh, and in their haste to leave on Sunday morning, they had maybe not made all the plans, or maybe they had tried to get a husband or a brother or a brother-in-law to come with them, but they weren't really certain how they would get the, the tomb open. I don't think this is recorded in the text. Maybe you have to dig deep in the original languages. Uh, But you know how life works. And so I bet on the way to the tomb, those women who were carrying those spices also did some complaining uh, because they're like, I tried to get so-and-so to come with me and he said he was going to sleep in. And then I tried to get his brother to come and he wouldn't come either. They said that story's over and there's nothing to do. Uh, And so here they were making their way to the tomb right at sunup going, what in the world are we going to do? How are we going to go about the work we've come here to do? How are we going to grieve? How are we going to prepare this body for burial? Isn't it just like God to take something that has preoccupied our attention, something that we think is going to be the biggest deal that we become concerned with, and then when we really get up close on it, that obstacle is gone, that he's found a way to move it out of the way of our life, That's exactly what happens to these women. What they thought was going to be such an issue, what they struggled with to figure out how in the world would they solve this problem, when they made their way to that tomb, that stone was gone. Uh, And so as they showed up, rather than having to deal with the, the, the stone, they were able to begin to step right inside that tomb. You can only imagine the stories and the questions that may have run through their mind, what they whispered to each other as they stepped in. There had to be some fear and trepidation wondering, what are we going to find When we step in this place, will someone be in there? Is there something we don't know? Did someone get in and get him? Is there going to be the scene of a crime? And as soon as they stepped through that entrance to that tomb, they didn't find any of those things. What they found was a heavenly messenger who helped sort out what they saw and pointed them in the right direction. I think that's another thing that happens in our lives too. We find ourselves in the midst of chaotic situations, struggles that we can't make sense of, places where our world seems out of sorts, and it's all of our tendency to write a story or tell ourselves a story that might be outlandish and far-fetched. And yet God often will send a messenger to come and help us, to help us see what's really in front of us and to help point us in the right direction. The messenger looked at what they saw and said, don't be alarmed. You're here looking for Jesus. You're here looking for the Nazarene, the one who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. He lays out exactly what happens. And then the last thing that that messenger says is he commissions them. And he says, but go, tell the disciples so that they can go and meet Jesus and Jesus will fulfill everything that he said he would do. It's an incredible story. It sounds so neat and tidy. But there's just one problem. The women did not go. Well, eventually they went, and we wouldn't be here if they had not gone and told somebody. But their first response was not just to go, okay, we'll go, because they were scared to death. The text that I read to you just a few moments ago is only eight verses. But four times in those eight verses... Mark tells us how scared the women were. It was like he got his thesaurus out and sorted through and said, I'm going to come up with every word for scared I can. So they're astonished, they're overwhelmed, they're alarmed, they're, they're freaked out, they're you know, chomping their teeth, they're biting their nails, all these things because they are terrified by what happened. 
Because the truth of the matter is what they experienced on that first Easter morning uh, wasn't just a bright sense of new color and new opportunity. It was a terrifying reality. The empty tomb is terrifying. Say that with me. The empty tomb is terrifying. I love what uh, New Testament scholar Esau Macaulay says. He says, the only thing more terrifying than a world where Jesus is dead is a world where Jesus is alive. And what we find as we look at the empty tomb is that it is terrifying because of the impact that it can have. This one event, uh, the fact that that tomb was empty, uh, bears more impact than anything else in all of history. Uh, That no matter what Jesus taught, no matter what he did, all of the incredible examples and lessons that we learn, it's this single event, his death and resurrection, uh, that validates and verifies and solidifies and gives us the very foundation of our faith. We can find in other places like 1 Corinthians 15 that some 500 verifiable people saw the risen Jesus. And so it was this moment that changed everything. It was this moment that unleashed heaven into the world, that gave the possibility for transformation and wholeness in life, in our lives, and for the change of the world around us. The impact of the resurrection is felt in us. Because without the the, the resurrection, without the empty tomb, the salvation and the life and the wholeness that we claim in Jesus would be unattainable. Uh, Because it's only through the resurrection that we find that the sacrifice that Jesus paid on our behalf was sufficient. If he had just offered himself on the altar of the cross, but yet he had not come back to life, we would wonder if what he had given had been enough to satisfy the penalty that was owed. But yet what we find is that because he conquered death, we can rest assured in the fact that there is a solution to our sin problem. Not just for salvation, but for the growth and wholeness and transformation that God longs for all of us. That because of that empty tomb that we can take all of the promises of God, everything that he said, everything that he said he would do from the inside out, and that we can bank on it and depend on it because he conquered the grave to say that there is nothing off limits to him. It opens opens up to us the possibility of wholeness in life that we could never find anywhere else. Many of us know the impact of that empty tomb is immediate. Uh, That you have got a story that somewhere in your life you reached a point where you said, I can't do this on my own. That no matter how good I am or how many Easter's and Christmases I go to church or uh, no matter how long I try not to cuss or you know, how long I try to be nice to my neighbor, that you've reached a point somewhere in your story where you've said, I can't do this on my own. I need help. I can't save myself. And so you receive that gift that Jesus gave of offering his life on your behalf. Uh, You took it on and immediately, as you put your faith in that story of Jesus, his death and resurrection, you felt an immediate soothing and balm in your heart. It changed your life immediately. That's the benefit of the empty tomb. And for those of you who don't know that story, who haven't had that, maybe you got drugged here by a spouse or a parent or a grandparent and you're just hoping you can make it to brunch. The good news of the empty tomb is that those promises are true for you too. That no matter where you are or what you've done, no matter what story you tell yourself or how hard you might resist, that God's promises are true and that he welcomes you into that story too. But the most terrifying part of the empty tomb may be the gift of hope. Because not just the salvation and the transformation that we find in our own lives, 
The empty tomb gives us the gift of hope. And hope is a dangerous thing. Hope is that thing that says when we look at the world around us, when we look at the bleakness and the hardship and the injustice, when we look at the pain and the grief, that we can look at all of it, and as bad as the circumstances may seem, that we can know that none of it is a dead end for God. That we can know no matter how bleak and dark it may be, that there is nothing that God can't overcome. And if the story is not over yet with God victorious, then it means there is yet another chapter to be written. I don't know what you face on this Easter morning. I don't know what your story is, what pain or struggle or diagnosis or grief or hardship you may have endured or are enduring right now. I don't know what story you tell yourself or what lie you've believed for life or generations in your family. But what I know is that no matter where you are, is that God is not through and that God can still reach you. That no matter how much it may feel like a dead end, is that there are no dead ends in God's economy. And that hope says that no matter how dark and hard and difficult it is, that he yet wants to write a new chapter in you. Truth be told, it would have been much easier if those women on that first Easter had not found that stone rolled back and Jesus had been in that tomb, they would have shown up, they would have done what they came for, they would have grieved, they would have prepared his body, and then they would have gone on with life as normal. Because the fact of the matter is, is we know how to deal with a broken heart. We know how to deal with grief or dashed dreams. Uh, We know how to deal with things that we get our hopes up for and then don't turn out the way we think they will. We don't like it, but we've become desensitized to the images of war, to shootings, to injustice, to strife and struggle. And just like all those things, we just kind of stuff it down inside and kind of chin up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and keep it going. But what the terrifying gift of Easter is, is that God had another version of this story. And that we are called to leave that graveyard. Just like those women who were called to go and tell. That we are called not just to bear through it and hope that someday we might punch our ticket to heaven. But that we are called to live into that new hope and new life now. That all of those things, those promises, the things that Jesus said, the things he said he would do in us and through us, he will do now. That his kingdom that comes on earth as it is in heaven, that we are welcomed into it today. That all those things like forgiveness and turning the other cheek and loving one another and being one together no matter who you are or where you're from or where you live or who you voted for, that we are invited to all of that today. That is the terrifying reality of Easter. That the way of the world outside the gates of that cemetery, that that doesn't have to be the way of the Easter people. That the empty tomb, that scary gift that scared the life into those women, that it can scare the life into us too. That we don't have to leave the cemetery and continue to live the same way we were before we came into it that there's an invitation 
and a chance for us to let that, em- that empty tomb, the terrifying reality of the empty tomb, scare the life into us too. Because to do anything less with it would be to miss the fullness that God wants us to have out of that first Easter. If I'm honest, I really love spring. I could do without pollen, but I love spring. And while there are some wonderful things to celebrate today about newness and bright colors and new opportunities, for us to only focus on that and miss the gift that God gives us in the empty tomb would be to reduce Easter to mere sentimentality and miss the life that God wants us to have. My prayer is that this Easter, the terrifying reality of the empty tomb would scare the life into you too. Pray with me, please. Gracious God, we love you and we worship you. And we thank you for the terrifying reality of the empty tomb. The empty tomb that recalculates and changes everything, that sets our life right side up, that reorders our priorities to become your priorities. And Lord, we pray even now in these moments that you would help us fix our eyes and our minds and our hearts and our souls on you. And Lord, as we walk out of this place in a few minutes, that we would leave as Easter people confident in the gift you've given and the reordering of life that comes through you. Or don't let us miss the fullness of what it is you've done. Or work in us even now that we might receive and engage and embrace this reality in powerful new ways. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.